You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisendraft on WCPT 820. Hey, everybody. Um, uh, I haven't talked with Pulitzer Prize winning columnist Will Bunch in a while. Um, we talked quite a bit before the last election, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but he promised to make it a central part of his mission to be sure that Pennsylvania voters knew enough about the candidates to make good decisions. And partly because of his good work, they did. Welcome back, Will. Hey, Edwin. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. I I was just speaking with... um, uh, another member of your profession, Jill Lawrence, a, a moment ago, and I want to get your opinion on, on 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 this. You've spent your adult life in journalism. Both the profession and the business model of journalism have come under enormous pressure. Are, are, are journalists, is the industry going to be up to the challenge of another presidential cycle coming upon us so fast? Well, uh, that, that's a good that's a good question. I mean, I think um, w- while it's true that the business the business model for journalism, um, I don't want to say it's collapsed because that's too dramatic, but it's uh, it's, it's under intense pressure, right? But um, it, 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 and that obviously has some marginal impact on the presidential race because um, you have less people out there uh, in the field. You have less people, and, and I think this is much more important, that you have less people digging into the finances or other possible, you know, ir- irregularities around the candidate. And, but, but really, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I don't think it's really that much about money. It's about attitude. You know, it's um, American democracy is, is under attack right now. And, um you know, so journalism as as usual is just isn't going to cut it. You know, we we have to be mindful every day um, because you can't be. You know, journalists. You know, the whole the whole thing about journalists being neutral or whatever. You know, journalists journalists have to be fair. They have to listen to both sides and 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 make sure that they uh, you know have an open mind when they go into a story. But you can't be neutral about the future of democracy and. You know, right now we have one party, political party, that's uh, endorsed, you know, that's or embraced, I should say, a form of, you know, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it authoritarianism. You can call it fascism on the other extreme. Uh, uh, but it's it's definitely anti-democracy, you know, whether it's trying to restrict people from voting, whether it's, um, you know, kicking out or silencing legislators they don't agree with, whether it's um, uh, what we're seeing a lot right now, which is red states um, taking control over over blue cities within their states, you know, the, the district attorneys, the, uh, the police departments, the, the school districts. Um, uh, you know, that, that's an assault on democracy. And if, if the media can't let people know that this is happening and just how urgent the situation it is, then, you know, you, you could throw all, you could have all the money in the world invested in journalism. It, it wouldn't matter if, if the, if the, if the state of mind isn't uh, right. And if we're not accurately describing what's going on right now. Yeah. You can be fair and balanced um, and, yeah. and do the job. I mean, fair and balanced doesn't mean 
um, facts don't matter. They do. And they, that, they're, they're, I mean, checking facts is the core of doing journalism. I mean, they, they used to teach in, a, in, in Chicago at the, uh, we had a city news bureau that trained generation of journalists. And the guy who ran it would say, like, if your mother tells you she loves you, check the fact, check the sources. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when, when, when I say that there's, you know, an authoritarian or a neo-fascist or whatever streak in the Republican Party today, I'm I'm basing that on a lot of research. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I, I spend a lot of time reading and digging into stuff and talking to people so so that I understand what they're doing. I, you know, I, you know, I, I'm just not one of those people who, you know calls people fascists or communists just because, you know, I don't like their mustache or something, you know, it's like, yeah, no, like, I mean, I mean, you're not a bomb thrower. You're not a bomb thrower. That's not who you are, but, but you got to call it like you see it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, the, the the right, the writing part of journalism is very important to me. Like I want to be a very good, a very good writer, you know, turn a good phrase every now and then or whatever. But the truth is people who are good writers know that that comes from good reporting. That becomes that comes from having kind of mastery over facts and information. It makes you a better mm-hmm. writer. You know, mm-hmm. that it's not just it's not just dazzling people. You're not writing fiction, you know, it's not you know, you're not dazzling people with your wordsmith, uh, you know, you know, I, I guess you can dazzle people and make stuff up, but if you really want to be a true journalist and be accurate. The, the, the more, the more you understand the subject, the better a writer you are. So yeah, that makes you know, sense. It, 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 yeah, and um, so yeah, I mean, this presidential race is going to be a challenge. You know, it's, it's funny because uh, it's funny you asked this, and, and maybe this is probably what you and Phil were talking about in the last half hour. But um, you know, this town hall next week that CNN is having with Trump. I mean, uh, uh, I, right. I know you're supposed to be asking the question. I, I, I know I, you're supposed to be asking the question. Yeah. Oh, like, no, we're supposed to have a conversation. That's how I want it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I was going to say, I was going to do, I was going to turn the table a little bit, maybe ask you a question because, because I'm of two minds. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what you think about it because I'm of two minds because on one hand, I totally get the argument that, you know, Trump is just, shouldn't be even in the public arena after January 6th, you know, that, uh, um, that his, his level of politics has just reached this level that's so dangerous. And why are we giving him this free advertising and this free platform? Although CNN, you know, and I, I've been very critical of CNN in many ways over the years. I mean, CNN does do town halls with everybody, you know, even the people at 2% in the polls get, Get even, even like you know, Jill Stein or whatever got a got a CNN town hall when she was running. So it's not, you know, it's not. But but the thing is, to me, I'm kind of thinking they should have this town hall with Trump if he's willing to do it because yeah. do it right. Ask, ask him, ask him the tough questions because because he's not getting exposed to that. You know, he's not. You know, he's out there running and. Uh, posting on Truth Social or whatever, but people had very little chance to question him. And, and now we're finding out that one of the few times that reporters did get a chance to question him recently, he uh, had a fit. Had a like, temper tantrum. A reporter yeah. And had a tantrum, right? And, yeah. you know, if, if, 
So if, if he does that on if he does that on live TV on CNN, I'm, I'm thinking America should probably see that. You know. Well, so let me ask you this because it's related. Yeah. What did you think of? Um, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene on 60 Minutes. It's another sort of Rorschach test for journalism. Was that a good idea or a terrible idea? I I think that was a bad idea because, you know, she's not, Marjorie Taylor Greene is not, is not the president or she's not running for president. You know, she's, she's, she's running to be a media star of the Republican Party. You know, with, that is the Republican uh, Party. Yeah, I I, I agreed with you. I thought it was a terrible idea. And then I watched it. Well, and I thought, oh, my God, is the country seeing this? Because what I saw was appalling. And I, I guess it's the same thing you're saying about about Trump. If he's handled well by reporters, um, uh, what he's going to show us is appalling, whether that makes a difference or not. You know, I mean, it's not as important as making him go away for sure. But I'm not sure that it's journalists' job to make uh, politicians go away. Yeah, and, and, and look, at, the, at this stage, you know, Trump's been, Trump's been in the political arena for eight years now. And, uh, you know, since, since he started running in 2015, the first time. So he's, he's not going away. So, you know, CNN's decision on giving him a town hall or not isn't, isn't going to have that much material effect. And, and you know, I mean, when the, when the show airs, there, there's going to be people who watch it and think that, you know, Trump was great, you know, that he socked it to the media, that, you know, that, that Trump, he tells it like it is. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I take him, I take him seriously, but not literally, and, you know, all that stuff, you know, um, uh, there are going to be people, but, but I think, I think there are, some people who, you know, there are people, believe it or not, who aren't huge Trump fans, but, you know, they, they didn't like Hillary Clinton and maybe they didn't like Biden or whatever. And, you know, they're, they're on the fence and they there are there are some swing voters out there. And, you know, if, if Trump gets out there and, and, and really embarrasses himself that in such a way that you'd have to be just a, a zealot not to see it, um, I think that could be good. You know, yeah, maybe um, I don't know how he opens his mouth and doesn't end up in more legal trouble. I mean, he's going to have a, a a ruling probably against him on the E. Jean Carroll case by the time he shows up on TV. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting, really interesting from that perspective. Yeah, I do not I mean, plan on watching it, but I'll read about it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, funny, it's funny you say that. I mean, if the verdict in, in that... Um, E. Jean Carroll trial, if that verdict comes out, you know, that afternoon and it goes uh-huh. against him, I mean, he could just have a total, total meltdown, uh, you know, a uh, network, I mean, the movie network, you know, style, yeah. style mad as hell. Or he could not show up and uh, CNN uh, better be ready to backfill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's right. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's planning not to do a couple of the debates, so... Yeah, but, it's, but you know, it, that's one big decision. But like, there's going to be many, many decisions between now and November 2024 in terms of the media and, and how do we handle this thing? Because mm-hmm. you know, things in politics are just getting less and less normal. So uh, this is going to be the first election where we have to deal with deep fakes and really deal with them. Right. 
and, and, and these are candidates are very susceptible, you know, I mean, it seems like we've seen that a lot already with Biden, right? That they're trying, they're always trying to, because their biggest thing against Biden is the fact that, uh, you know, he's old and maybe he's not all there. So, uh, they love to doctor these videos to make it. You're going to see videos of him. Well, you're going to see videos of him in an ambulance going to the hospital on life support, all nonsense, all made up, but they're all going to look good. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I think I think they get the most mileage just out of a tape where he's talking and they edit it in a certain way or cut his words out of order so so it yeah. sounds incoherent. You know, and yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, the thing is, and, and and I don't I don't watch everything that Biden does, but you know, like uh, you know, I, I watch like the State of the Union and and then that I'm thinking like. You know, I'm I'm 64. I couldn't go out there and do that for an hour. What he, what he, he did, did a great job. You know? yep. Yeah. All right. Let me let me change the subject a little bit because we spend yeah. so much time on national politics, um, and national politics sometimes gets detached from our daily lives in a way that opens the door for conspiracies and silliness and all kinds of stuff that you and I just talked about. But we just had a mayoral election in Chicago, and I think you're in the middle of one in Philly, aren't you? Yeah. I find these a tonic for our democracy. I mean, candidates and voters, they all get to know each other. The issues are tangible. The candidates, you know, uh, end up stealing each other's best ideas, which is, you know, good for the country or the city. I mean, I love local elections. And I'm wondering what's your take on that and how they differ from the big national stuff. Well, that's interesting you say that because, I mean, it, it, it may be just, it's just the case of timing is everything. But, I mean, the, the big story in our mayoral race, mayoral race in the last 24 hours is kind of a reminder of how local politics is getting ruined and becoming like national elections, which is uh, this huge, hugely funded super PAC that's trying to take down our most, our most progressive candidate is named Helen Gim. And, um, uh, you know, we, we have, you know, we have, well, I, I guess the dark money, I guess, I guess there's unlimited camp contributions everywhere, but so so this this billionaire who lives in Pennsylvania named Jeff Yass, he's a big thing. He's a pro charter schools, pro voucher, anti public schools, anti teachers union guy. Uh, just poured seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of his own money uh, into this pack that's buying negative ads to take down the progressive candidate Helen Gim. So. Um, and yeah, you know, the thing is, there is, you know, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a, it's literally the best weather day of the year here in Philadelphia today. It's, it's 70 degrees. It's, it's, uh, blue skies. And, uh, you know, the, the, the candidate, the election is nine days from now. It's May 16th. So, uh, it's a primary election. So, um, uh, the candidate, you know, there's people out, there's people out door knocking and going to neighborhoods. And you're right. It's the, it's the Norman Rockwell democracy that, you know, that we all want. But there's, but even, even in an election like that, there's still these like dark currents of like dark money and, um, you know, people, you know, dollars trying to influence the election. So it's kind of a mixed bag, you know. Um, yeah, but the, the dollars don't go as far. I mean, the, the candidate who, one in Chicago, you know, was outspent I, I'm, right. by an enormous amount by the candidate who lost. 
you know, and the Canada Lost had tons of money pouring in, uh, you know, money that uh, was from probably some of the same billionaires. Um, and he wasn't as he wasn't as radically to the right. He was just like at the right edge of the Democratic Party. But um, he got all of that money and he still lost. Yeah. No. Yeah. You, you had a very good election in Chicago. And I, I think I think it, I think it helped clarify. I think, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, we're seeing different types of elections in different cities. Like in Chicago, mm-hmm. you, ha- you have you have a runoff in Chicago. And I, I thought that worked out well because at the end, the voters got to choose from candidates who had two very different visions, you know, that you had mm-hmm. John the progressive. And Vallis running as kind of an old-fashioned, tough-on-time mm-hmm. mm-hmm. type guy. And uh, 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 that was good. And uh, New York and some other cities now have gone to ranked choice voting, which uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan at all of Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, who won, who won with ranked choice voting. But yep. the thing went. In, in Philadelphia, um, you know, Philadelphia is very backwards about political reform. We've always been an extremely anti-reform state. And our election is, there's nothing reform about this election. It's, it's uh, here in Philadelphia, which is basically a one-party town, there's a Democratic primary. It's a closed primary. So if you're a Republican or if you're an independent, you can't vote in it um, in the Democratic primary. Um, there will be a general election in November. Um, but the uh, Republican, even though it's a city council member, but doesn't doesn't have much of a chance. Um, and and the other thing is, you know, we don't we don't have runoffs. It's just it's a it's and and we have a we have a race where this doesn't usually happen. But there's kind of five top tier candidates, and they're pretty equal. One of the five might be flipping a little bit, but the other four and maybe all five are really just neck neck and neck and neck with each other, which is that good or bad? I don't know. I mean, well, so the, so what you're describing, let's say that, let's say the Republican is going to get the same slice of the votes as one of those Democrats. So now you have six, you have a pie split six ways and you're telling me that the next mayor can win with one vote more than a sixth of the population. So it could be a very, very, small percentage of voters elect a mayor. Yeah. And, and remember there's, you know, in, in a mayoral primary, there's, there's turnout, you, you know, even though despite all the publicity, there's still turnout issues. And so, so the bottom line is, you know, that the overall population of 1.6 is of Philadelphia is 1.6 million, you know, including children and all that. But uh, so, so with a population of 1.6 million, we're, yeah, people think the winner could get as few as sixty thousand votes. Yeah, that's so terrible. That's, that's not great. That's terrible. No, that's bad for everybody. Um, yeah, and really bad for everybody. Yeah, and 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 I, I, you know, I think it, it's interesting. You know, so so the five candidates I, I mentioned, one of them, Helen Gim, she's the most progressive, and you know, basically, if you imagine a five lane highway, it's almost like each candidate has an ideological lane. You know, there's uh, in addition to Helen is on the far left, there's, there's a center left candidate. There's a kind of a center. When I say, when I say centrist, I don't mean centrist. I mean, centrist within the democratic party, you know, kind of in the yep. center of the democratic party. Uh, and then there's a couple who are, you know, kind of more on the higher, more cops kind of, they're not 
ultra conservative, or they're not really conservative, but they're kind of on the on the right of this primary field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so you know, I mean, let's just say hypothetically that that Helen Ginn, the progressive, wins wins, but she wins with twenty five percent of the primary vote. Um, that probably means that seventy five percent of the Democratic primary voters really didn't pretty strongly didn't want her. And 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 they're not even the whole and you're not even counting Republican and independent voters and so yeah. And people who stay at home. Yeah. So so whoever is gonna win is gonna have a huge uh task to bring the city together. If they see that as their task. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the uh uh the, the one thing the new mayor is gonna have going for them is is that uh, uh um, is that the current mayor Jim Kenney has been kind of on cruise cruise control for the last five or six years, and you know, I mean, he, he had a very easy reelection, but once he got reelected, uh, it dawned on people that he really wasn't doing anything, you know, and like that was like uh, you, you've probably never seen our mayor on TV because that's like too, too much work for him or whatever. So, so it, I guess it's good. That's good in a way for the next mayor because the bar is pretty low in terms of uh, they kind of just need to show up and show an interest. You know, I mean, Philadelphia has a lot of the same problems Chicago has. Um, uh, we have a very, we have a higher murder rate than we've had in a long, long time. In fact, we've actually set our all-time record for homicides the last couple of years. It's, I think it's finally going down a little bit this year. Um, uh, you know, we have a mental health crisis. We have um, uh, uh, you know, a drug opioid crisis, basically. So there is a lot to do in Philadelphia uh, for whoever the next mayor is. And our, 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 schools, our schools are in pretty bad shape. So. Well, yeah, I think the guy running for mayor here once ran your schools. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and it didn't, did, not really, did not really help the situation much. So yeah, yeah um, that's what I hear. Yeah. So, But, you know, I'm bullish on cities. I, I think the yeah, COVID was re- really hard. COVID and the, and the changing way we work, um, which was accelerated through COVID, um, work and shop, which has done real uh damage to the uh, real estate markets and how we how we use buildings. Um, all of that has to change. And that's going to be painful. But I still think the future is invented in cities. And um, the creativity and energy of American cities is, um, is awe inspiring. Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, what, what's interesting is, I mean, you know, like you know, I, I you know, I, I grew up in the 1970s when when cities were, were really kind of falling apart, and at that at that time, you had people moving away from cities in droves, moving out of cities. And what's what's happening now, which you, which you just kind of mentioned, is um, the nature of work is changing dramatically. You know, a lot of the types of jobs that took place in city office buildings people can do from home now and they want to do from home. But what's interesting is a lot of people want to make that home in a city. You know, they want to live in a walkable urban neighborhood uh, and work from home and, and then be able to go out to the coffee shop or, or work from the coffee shop or whatever, you know, they, they want that environment. So, so, so like you said, I mean, I think the challenge is uh, how do we convert the nature of the cities to make them more residential and less less commercial because that's 
that's the nature of who's going to want who wants to be in cities right now going forward. So. Yeah. I have one more topic. Um, it's one of your favorite topics, which is higher ed. Yeah. And, you know, you've argued that American higher ed is unsustainably expensive, that the debt burden graduates take with them can be bigger than the value of the education they get. Um, but I know you're all, you know, so, so there's a lot of th- reasons, things that higher ed are doing that are no good. On the other hand, you can't be a fan of the Maoist style attack on higher ed from the MAGA crowd, right? So what do you think about all of this? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, my book that came out last year about, well, about the intersection between higher education and, and politics, you know, that after the Ivory Tower falls. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, e- even though the subtitle of the book is, is you know how how you know how how college broke the American dream, right? So that that's pretty mm-hmm. negative. But the thing is, the whole point was, I want I want call you know I want higher education to get to get it back together. You know I want I I, I really want to see higher education become accessible and affordable and. Uh, takes place in an environment where people feel they can study the humanities, you know, like English or or, or, uh, or philosophy or or, or something history. like that. Right. You know? yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. History freak, right? So, um, but um, yeah, so uh, so I want that. Uh, I, I, but I also argued in the book that um we still live in a country that for a lot of reasons, some of them perfectly understandable, about half half the young know, people coming up aren't aren't gonna be going to well at least not to a four year college. You know, some people are gonna go to a two year college, but uh, uh some people aren't gonna go to college at all. But um we also if we're gonna mount a major crusade to save college we also need to be doing something for those folks. We need to have, uh, if you're going to have free public universities, you should have free public trade schools. Uh, you know, you should have, um, uh, you know, sponsored apprenticeships and, uh, you know, gap year programs and other type things for people who, who aren't, aren't going to be getting a bachelor's degree. Because other, you know, because that, as I argue, as I take a whole book to argue, but I mean, that's, that, that became the secret clause for yep. political yep. amendment, you know, this, this divide between the educated and the uneducated. So, yeah, so, you, so your sense you that... Save college to do better. Yeah, yeah. so you, you, you wrote a lot about how to make colleges better, but the, but the attack on colleges from the right is not um, following your suggestions about how to make college better. <laughs> no, 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 quite, no, quite the opposite. I mean, I, you know, I mean, the, the thing is... Um, uh, I, I think I think higher education is part of what makes better citizens, right? It, it, yeah. And what, yeah. what gives people what gives people critical thinking skills, and and that's what helps us as a society respond better to things like climate change or you know heaven forbid the next pandemic or or, or whatever to have those critical thinking skills, have an appreciation for science and, and the scientific process, you know, all of those things. And Republicans right now are against all of those things. They are, you know, you know, it's not, it's not a conspiracy theory to say that Republicans are against critical thinking. They, you know, they want to create young people who uh, are, are obedient to a certain idea of patriotism and are obedient to their, 
basic authoritarianism, as you were talking about earlier. In the, yep, in the yep. Dominion. Um, yeah. All right. Well, Will, we've run out of time. Um, so we have to, as usual, we have to do this again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank you so much. It's always a real pleasure having you on. Yeah. All right, Edwin. It's always great talking to you. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. That's uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer's Will Bunch. Um, we're going to turn to Chicago when we come back uh, and talk to former Alderman Roderick Sawyer. And it's really, he's got a lot to say uh, based on his experience and as a candidate in the last mayor's race. So that'll be interesting, even if you're not from Chicago to hear. Stay tuned. <laughs> 